Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. It's great. It's good to see what's happening in Muko, isn't it? Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing over in Muko. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. And thank you that uh, you've called us to be givers of hope or to be people who bring your hope to a world in need. In need, And we pray today that we will be listening to you, Lord. We allow you to speak to us now, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you and ask that you fill us with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2003, I was in Africa and I thought I was going to die and I woke up on the floor of a concrete bathroom, concrete floor, walls. I'd passed out at 2am and managed to hit the soft timber door instead of every other concrete surface and lay on the floor groaning in pain, just sweating more than I ever have in my life. Dragged myself into our room. My brother was in the other bed and I pulled myself up on the bed kind of lying half over the mosquito net and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway, so who cares about that? Uh, it turns out I had some, I actually have no idea what I had. The doctors over there said it's like malaria. And so we were over there to bring hope, but I thought I was going to die. And in fact, everyone on our team got just about got sick. Some lasted months after and we were meant to be this team bringing hope to to people in Malawi and then to a community in Uganda and I tell you I think we were some of the most inadequately prepared inadequately hopeful people you could imagine so we went with uh with my grandma we've got this photo up here my grandma Betty Shepherd uh and she um she would she actually in her life she did some phenomenal things and um, would find people in need around the world and partner with them to, to set up amazing things. So we have links in India and in Malawi and Uganda and a whole lot of places. And she was phenomenal. I, actually, the first trip I ever did with her was when I was 12. And she was fantastic being able to take you somewhere and trust you enough to throw you so far in the deep end and kind of be there to catch you and help you. Um, but support, like she was phenomenal. And a uh, tough, tough woman. So she was great. And so we went on this, this trip and it was in the highlands of Uganda that we met Joshua on the left and Erasmus on the right. These two phenomenal men who were serving the people of, of that district and doing what they could, but it was so remote. And when we first went to Muko, there was just a plot of land, nothing there. And amazingly, in the 20 years since then, We've seen, um, it, well, it took a while to get things going, but have seen through God's faithfulness and through the faithfulness of his children, seen this incredible health service develop where people who had zero access to healthcare, and I tell you, it is remote out there and, and is very, very poor. It's beautiful. Like the, the space is beautiful. It's, it's amazing, but there's nothing there. And, and so we've been able to partner with them and it's quite phenomenal. But I tell you, we were the most inadequate representatives of our church to send. I'll show you. The next photo proves it. Like, who would send those three 
to represent your church to go, hey, we're bringing hope to the people of Muko. We were barely through uni degrees. That was us attempting to smile. Um, it was we, like, in all honesty, we were inadequately hopeful. We were so far beyond inadequate, it's not even funny. And, and we went there with this, this hope to to help people. But interestingly, and, and I remember this just after the first service this morning, we had so much opposition just to get there. So we were in Malawi first and we, we all got super sick. Sam, I remember even the plane trip, actually he got so sick at one point, he's like, get me to hospital and get me injected with something. I don't even care. Like we were, it was bad. But we made it to Uganda. It was staying in this mission hostel in a... Um, I was on this big hill, looks over Kampala, and there's a like sort of a big cathedral there. And we were staying in this hostel. And that night, we experienced one of the biggest storms I've ever been in. And I had this shooting pain up my left arm and into my heart. And I was thinking, I'm like 20, this shouldn't be happening. And all night, I thought, the city is going to be destroyed. Like this, this storm was so huge. I thought, this is unbelievable. And we walked out in the morning, and it was as though there had been no storm at all. And the whole time we were there, it felt so clear that the enemy didn't want us to bring hope to the people there. He was reminding us of how inadequate we were. And he was doing everything in his power to say, I don't want you to do this. And it's funny because we went there and I honestly felt like I didn't do too much. We went and met some people and, and we did some other things around the place and did some great things. But, but I guess it's God's faithfulness over the last many years where we've seen some phenomenal things happen. And it's interesting, we find ourselves now in this time where things are a bit different and we don't easily jump on a plane to go and do mission trips and we're even a little unsure of how to do that and is that okay and is that the best way to help people and, and I know what should, we, what should we be doing this and people are easily sceptical and we're not sure what to do. But what we do know is that people need hope and people are unhopeful, they're uncertain of the future, not to sort of be too negative but if you look around the world there is poverty hunger disease terrorism there's destruction and people internally you know this people are longing for something better you are often longing for something better and people have often looked to the future sort of with a mixture of longing excitement but often fear and for a lot of people they see no reasonable basis for hope. And they believe, for, for a lot of the world, that to hope is actually an illusion. It's a waste of time. The other day, um, was a Friday afternoon, on our way to, to AFL, taking our kids there, and, um, and Eva was uh, hopping into a car with a friend, and they'd just heard this song in a pub that we're in. And they're walking along going, what was that song? It's an Australian band. It's probably from the last 10, 15 years. What is that song? And as they hop in the car, they're like, oh, Eskimo Joe. And there was a man who was walking past and he sort of motioned to Eva and, he, and she's like, what? And he, she opened the door and, and he said, did you just say Eskimo Joe? And she said, yeah. And he said, my son died two days ago. And his name was Joe. And when you said that, it gave me hope that he's okay. And there are people walking by you every single day. You have no idea how much hope they need. He just looked like a normal man walking down the street in Carrington. But he was someone in need of hope. 
And that, that little thing, that little, that song that Everett probably listened to years ago, somehow that gave that man a little bit of hope to get through his afternoon. We're called to be bringers of hope, but yet I often feel completely inadequate. And maybe you feel inadequate to bring the hope that people need. Now, if you do, you're in really good company because a whole lot of other people have felt incredibly inadequate. One great example is if you think about sort of missionaries, people who go around the world to help people, they're sort of the, the peak, the prime example is, say, Mother Teresa, you know, who moved to Calcutta, gave up everything to serve people. If you're going to go sort of, you know, your most obvious example would be her. Yet, although we often talk about how phenomenal she was, she went through what she called a dark night of the soul. So not someone who carried hope 24-7 and just, hey, I'm riding on a cloud and everything's amazing and I'm living in a slum, but it doesn't really feel like it because life is great. No, no, she went through this dark night where this is what she said, I am told God loves me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Did I make a mistake to surrender blindly to the call? Feel like you're in good company? Isn't that phenomenal? And her deep spiritual maturity and her willingness to persevere allowed her to retain her faith and hope even when she felt like she had absolutely none. And interestingly, still continues to give hope to people. She never wanted her journals published because people would see what was written in them. I mean, most people don't want their journals published, to be honest. So do you feel inadequate to bring hope? Do you feel exhausted or overwhelmed or undersupplied? Well, we're going to look right now, if you turn with me, to Romans chapter 15. And this is what it says to you. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul here is writing to the church in Rome. And he says this, first of all, he's prayer, he's praying for them. He's saying, I pray that God, who is the source of hope. The first thing we need to know is that God is the source of hope. All hope comes from him. Okay, if you want hope, you go to the source. This is actually where hope grows, where it comes from. So God, he is the source of hope. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. And who doesn't want joy and peace? Because you trust in Him. So it's almost like this equation. As you trust in God, He fills you with joy and peace. Sort of this direct equation. And then it says, and then the outworking, so you already feel with joy and peace, but the outworking is then you will overflow with confident hope. And so we actually move from a state of inadequacy to a state of confident hope. That is actually what God is calling us to do. He's calling you to move from a state of inadequacy to being someone who is confident in hope. And God is reminding you that He is the God of hope and you're not enough. That's okay. You're actually not enough to bring hope to the world. I don't know if you wanted to come to church and hear that, but you're not good enough, really. Like, you are not good enough to bring the hope that the world needs. And that is actually a really good thing. So I guess the question then is, are you inadequate enough? Are you inadequate enough to bring the hope that the world needs? So Paul, it's interesting because he's writing this 
And he, like Mother Teresa, is not someone who sort of breathes through life and like, this is fantastic, this is easy. No, he went through every trial imaginable. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, had people ridicule him, had people turn away from him, he was stabbed in the back. And yet, whether in prison or with a group of Christians or wherever he was, shipwrecked, he still remained a constant source of hope, actually a constant source of hope that has lasted for thousands of years, which that is phenomenal. So when we think hope, we've been talking hope the last few weeks, but when we talk hope, what, what do we actually mean? So often when we think about hope, we think it's more like blind hope, like I hope I get good grades on something I haven't studied for. Okay, like some of my students who don't study and hope to get good grades. And I say, well, chances are you're going to get 60% like last time because you also didn't study. Or I hope to get a good park. Or blindly, I hope the Knights win because they did a couple of times and you're telling me there's a chance. And, you know, and, and we're just hoping on like blind expectation, like just maybe maybe we might experience the, like, the glory days again. And it's, it's sort of this, it's blind. It's just hoping on, on hope. Now, we can look at it in, in a few ways. We can think, like, I'm optimistic by nature. And, you know, kind of to quote Dumb and Dumber, you know, you're telling me there's a chance. That's, that's sort of how I like to look at life. You know, you're telling me there's a chance. Like, always sort of looking for, for the positive, all right? Now, Eva would be said she's a bit more pessimistic or she'd say probably say realistic but neither is Christian hope okay when we think about the hope of the Bible neither one is that okay optimism pessimism they're just the way kind of we view things but that is not the hope that the Bible talks about so in the Bible there's a couple of words uh, in in Hebrew so yachal and kava and they both sort of mean they both talk about waiting it's to wait or to wait for. And biblical hope isn't just hoping just it may happen. I'm being optimistic. It's not optimism. It's about waiting with tense expectation, but based on a person. It's based on a character. So optimism is sort of choosing to see. I could choose to see how things could work out well. But biblical hope is not based on a circumstance where I can see it. Because often in the Bible, we read stories where there are no possible good outcomes. Like you could search and search and find every possible good outcome you want to try and find, and there are none. Biblical hope is based on a person, not a circumstance. I love this definition here. Hope defined as this, the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past with trusting human responses in the present, the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in the present in the future. So we integrate, so bringing into our lives God's faithfulness from the past. So we remember God has been faithful. We bring that in. And then my present state is that I, my response is trust. I trust the God who has been faithful. So that, that's sort of my role here. And then the outworking is that I will experience his goodness both right now, I experience his hope now, and in the future. Okay, so it actually, it's interesting because it actually brings in like, like the entire arc of, of time, past, present, and future. 
and shows it right in the middle where we are right here. We're bringing God's faithfulness from the past, but also knowing the future promise that he has for us. Uh, in, there's a Greek term, elpis, which means confident expectation or anticipation. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just, I hope this happens. I hope that God comes through. I hope that God gives you hope. I hope. It's expectation based on the fulfillment of God's promises. Has he fulfilled his promises in the past? Yes. So we actually look at the precedent that he's set and go, well, you're reliable. I can trust you. And so his faithfulness in the past motivates us for the future, which is sometimes tricky in the present because all you can see is the present. And you have to sometimes remind yourself of the past, which is easier said than done. But this, I love this quote, this theologian, Justin Begbie, said this, we know the end of the story, so we hope from future into the present. We hope from the future into the present. Um, interestingly, I didn't think about this based on the sort of the, the, the time of month we're in, but Silas and I have started watching Star Wars. And, um, and I didn't mean to fully be super nerdy and sort of watch it right around, you know, this time, but happened. And we were watching yesterday, we were watching um, the, no, what's it, the Empire Strikes Back. And I've forgotten how good these films were. I haven't watched them for a long time. And we're watching, and, and, and I'm explaining what's happening to Silas, his six. And I said, the Imperial forces, they're, they're hunting Luke. They're trying to destroy him. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, but in the end, Darth Vader gets destroyed. He hasn't even seen the film. He doesn't know. He hasn't watched the end. He doesn't know what happens. But someone told him. So he can watch the film not feeling worried about what's going to happen because he goes, I know what happens in the end. I have hope. He didn't say that. Dad, I have hope because, no, I'm serious. This is yesterday. I'm like, that is, that's hope. It's not that I hope that things, you know, when you watch a movie, you, you actually, you know, some movies just totally blow your mind because they do exactly what you don't expect. But the majority of movies, you kind of get, I know the hero's going to be fine. But in this year, oh no, I actually know what's going to happen. So I have hope. I'm not worried. And I was actually quite glad because I'm like, well, now you can actually watch this and enjoy it. You're not going to be scared. And so we have hope knowing that what God said will happen actually will happen. All right? We know that Jesus is coming to restore all things. I want to show you this, this psalm, Psalm 33. It's up here. And it says, don't count on your war horse to give you victory. Who has a war horse here? Anyone? For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and he keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Our hope isn't in our war horse. Now, you don't have a war horse, but you probably have some sort of backing of some sort. You probably have a family, you might have a house, you might have some money saved away, you might have some status somewhere, you might have the way people perceive you, you might have a, a job, you might have whatever it is. Whatever those things are, you go, this is the thing that will get me through, this will give me hope for the future. It says here, we don't rely on that. Our hope isn't in that. Our hope isn't in the thing that we think will bring us victory, that we own ourselves. 
If, if you own a house and you have a mortgage, you've probably received a few lovely letters from the bank in the last few months. And everyone, after all, you go, I know exactly what this one's going to say. It's going to be, oh, surprise, surprise, interest rates have risen again and you owe us tons more money than you did before. And it's like, cool, thank you. Great deal. You can't have hope in the interest rate. You can't have hope in, in finances of any sort because things fluctuate all the time. You need to have hope in something that is secure and stable. So we don't, we don't, we don't rely on our war horse because a war horse can be defeated. It might be a powerful horse and it might, might have done great things in past, in past battles. It doesn't mean it will every time. You need something that is stable and secure that is going to be eternally hopeful and eternally trustworthy. So we can't count on that. And we can't even fully count on ourselves. Jesus said this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He said really great things like that, which make you feel really good about yourself. There's this new age term and it's sort of linked to the hero's journey and it's the, this term of ego death. Now it's interesting because most people who are looking for sort of some form of ego death won't surrender their ego or their life to Jesus, but they go, I can see there's something good about some level of dying to myself. People are recognizing there is something. You know, and often when you see a, a movie with the hero's journey, there's some moment where the hero needs to die to themselves to some point, to some extent. But in our sort of lives, we don't tend to fully die to ourselves. In fact, if you look at sacrifice, our sacrifices are always still quite self-serving. So if I sacrifice, maybe I want to take my family on holidays. I'm doing it for my family, of course, not for me. And I, and I sacrifice a bit of money each month and I might save that away. But in the end, there's some benefit that still helps me, isn't there? Or maybe I think I want to get physically healthy. So I'll sacrifice by, I'm going to start intermittently fasting. I'll do a 16-8 and I won't eat sort of for the first part of the day and, 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 and I'm sacrificing and I'm going to work out more, but in the end, it still benefits me, doesn't it? It's all actually still selfish. It's not necessarily bad, but it's all still kind of ego, ego driven. And Jesus isn't calling us to say, mate, he's not saying, I want you to you know, put some money aside like that. Like, not that he has a problem with that. But he's not saying, when I call you, I'm not saying come with a safety net. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. So he doesn't say come with your little safety net and everything's going to be rosy. He says, no, no, when I call you, I want all of you. I want the lot. I want everything you've got. Every single part of it. And, and everything comes, actually, everything comes back to dying. Because if you are dead, then you are perfectly inadequate. If you're dead, you can't give hope to anyone. You've got nothing left to give. And so you have to, at that point, be completely reliant on the one who's the source of hope. So I, I don't mean to be crass in this, but the people in Uganda, I really hope that they, their hope is not in my grandma, Betty because she's no longer here. And she is not the one who can give them any more hope. She did some great things when she was alive. But she's not their source of hope. And I really hope their, their source of hope wasn't in, say, Asher or I. Because we have no medical ability whatsoever. Probably attach a Band-Aid here and there. And we can help them to some extent, maybe financially. 
what we want is for our hope to be in Jesus. That our hope is in completely in Jesus. And, and God's call to us is that he must be central. His lordship must be central over everything. And so he, he actually, when he calls us, and I think this is why so many people turned away when Jesus spoke. They said, this is too hard. Because he asks for everything. He's not saying, just give me the little nice bits. He's saying, I want absolutely everything. In 2 Corinthians, he says, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So if you can acknowledge your weakness and say, I am inadequate, then he says, fantastic. Now I can use you to be a source of hope. Because whatever you think you're adequate, whatever you think you've got it together, I've got a lot to offer. He's going, you don't even have half what you need to offer. You don't have half of what you need. When you, went, when you were a kid and your family went on holidays, say, did you plan the holiday? Did you book the accommodation? Did you drive the car? No, just say you're seven, right? And your parents say, hey, we're going to go to Queensland on holiday. You didn't book the holiday because you had no money. No ability to book the holiday. You didn't plan anything to do there because you didn't even know where Queensland was. You, you didn't pack the buy groceries. You didn't drive the car because that was illegal and you, had no, you would have got lost instantly. Your parents might have said, pack your bag. And that's all you did. You packed your bag. Now, probably your mum packed your bag and you threw a few extra toys in. And you're like, I packed my bag. And they might have said, take your bag to the car. When you got to the car, your dad might have said, do not put that bag in the car because that's my job because I will Tetris the heck out of this car, all right? I know exactly where everything goes. Whenever, you know, you know it. If you've packed a car or if you're in a band and you're loading gear into the back of a van, like, you know, stuff goes in the right spot, but do not put it there, all right? And, you know, who's ever unpacked a car? But you didn't plan it or pay for it or do it. You were invited on a journey and you grabbed your little bag of goods and you jumped in the car. That's it. And I feel like when God calls us, he says, like, leave your room of toys behind. Forget that. Just bring what you need and jump in the car and let's go. Because where I am going is far better than where you've been before. And what got us here won't take us there. What got us as a church to this point will not take us to where God is calling us to go. We can't rely on what we've done in the last 20 years to look forward to the next 20 years and go, we're just going to keep doing the same things. It's going to be fantastic. It's not. It won't work. God is saying he is doing something new, but you can't bring the same old baggage you had before. It's time to let a few things go and surrender everything and say, God, where you're going, I want to be on that journey. I want to be a person of hope. And I want to let go of the things that hold me back to do that. Okay? In, in Hebrews 9, 6.19, it says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So if you're a person who's surrendered and you have this anchored hope, an anchored hope holds you in one place. You're secure. There might be a storm raging around you, but you're secure in place. You're secure there. And you are able then, as you trust in God, to be a source of hope for other people who are essentially without anchor. 
floating around looking for something that looks secure, some, some form of hope. And you go, I'm actually, I'm attached to something that's strong. I'm not moving anywhere. I don't think I'm better because of it. I know the thing I'm attached to, that's the thing that's good. And I'm just holding on for dear life. So for the future of our church, for the future of us as Christians, our, our hope is not in big church and our hope is not in a return to Christian values as a society. And our hope isn't in the collective human ability, which is essentially humanism, just to do good things around the world. That is not what our hope is in. Our hope is in Jesus, 100% in Jesus. And John Dixon says this, arguably the church is at its best when it's on the margins of society. And when we're in power, we tend to stuff things up. We make a mess of things. And so the position that we're in is actually the best position to bring hope to people because we're not in power. We're not the moral high ground. In fact, a lot of people would see Christians as having the moral low ground, especially in a lot of areas of ethics. So the position that you are in, you are actually uniquely positioned to bring hope to the world because you don't do it from a position of power. You do it from a position of understanding that I'm completely inadequate. And that's the upside down kingdom. There's a real beauty in that. And so, so last night there's this um, coronation, I guess a great commissioning in a sense. And, you know, Charles became king. But God would commission you for something and it's not so grand and you won't get a big crown right now and there's not going to be a whole lot of people looking around and, you know, like applauding you. He's actually commissioning you to be a person of hope, to be someone who acknowledges how completely inadequate they are and says, God, I'm aware that I cannot bring the hope the world needs to the world. So I want to completely trust in you to say, God, would you allow me to partner with you to bring hope to the world? Whether that is giving someone a smile or making them a meal or leading them to Jesus and discipling them over the next 30 years or providing financially for someone who needs help or doing community week in and week out with people who sometimes can be really difficult but you're called to love them and vice versa. Whatever it is, God is saying, will you come on that journey and just say, yeah, God, I, I want to leave things behind and completely follow you. Because as it says, as we read at the start, in Romans 15, it says, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, it's where hope comes from, he will fill you with joy, completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. You trust in him, he'll fill you with peace and joy so you will overflow with confident hope. So the, the church the world needs is one that is full of confident hope. Not confident in yourself, but confident in the God of hope, the source of hope, confident in Jesus. So can I pray for you? Would you like to be filled with hope? Would you like to be someone who goes, I, am a, I actually have constant hope, not because I think I'm fantastic, but because I'm totally aware that I'm not. You are special, by the way but inadequate. And there's a beauty in that. And so I, I want to pray that God today, and we're going to sort of worship for a second, just have a time of reflection. But that in this moment that God would say, speak clearly to you, you'd be able to hear him and, and understand what it is he's calling you to do. Because I believe that he, he wants all of you, but he wants it because he wants you to be a source of hope. He wants you to know his hope. 
to be full of peace and joy and to share that with the world. So, so let's pray and then we're going we're gonna to worship. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us to know you, to be loved by you, to become a, a source of hope to the world as we trust in you. Lord, may we be people who experience confident hope. Lord, not in ourselves, Lord, but completely hopeful, trusting in you, in your faithfulness in the past and in your future victory to come. Lord, may we bring hope to the world. Lord, I I lift up everyone here today who feels completely overwhelmed, who feels exhausted, undersupplied, or people who maybe they feel defeated. They feel like, I've tried and it hasn't worked. And they've come to the end of themselves. And so today in that place, Lord, I pray that they would know your faithfulness, your goodness, and that you are the one who makes perfect their weakness. And we thank you for your presence, that you promised to be with us, and you are with us today and forever. And we trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.